Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 149, and it's 6th of December 2020. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty good. Had a very entertaining episode of The Mandalorian. Um, and we also saw, thanks to Diego Luna, that the Cassian Andor show has finally started filming. Yeah. So, and that in itself feels a bit miraculous because we've been talking about that show for so long. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's finally going to happen. Because there's been lots of behind the scenes like development problems with like showrunners being swapped in and out and scripts being thrown out and then all rewritten and all this back and forth and stuff. So yeah, I'm glad to see it's actually becoming a real thing. That's the Star Wars way. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, no, it's true. It's standard um, protocol at this point, isn't it? Like, what sort of project is it if you haven't replaced the um, head creative lead several times? (laughs) Sorry, not salty at all. (laughs) Um, But yeah, how about you, Kirsty? How's it been? Uh, Pretty quiet, you know, as as usual lately. It's just kind of focusing on Mando. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've watched that twice now. I wanted to watch it a third time because... They packed a lot into that half hour, but yeah, <laughs> didn't have time. So hopefully I can still remember things to talk about. Yeah, I definitely moved at a breakneck speed. It was very exhilarating, I think is <laughs> the best word for it. I felt very like swept away by it the first time I watched it. Um, which, yeah, it was a nice feeling. Transported to another galaxy, if you will. I made uh, the mistake of watching it at midnight and I really struggled <laughs> to go to sleep afterwards. Oh, no! Because <laughs> it was just full on right it was yeah. like being punched in the face by star wars yeah no that's dedication like i'm really lucky because i'm in the uk and it arrives at a very sociable time it arrives at like 8 a.m which for me is just before i start work so i'm able to cram it in then um but yeah all you poor souls in america it's not fun i don't think like i would be so sleep addled at that point i wouldn't be able to concentrate um but yeah, like I, I guess that's what rewatching is for, isn't it? Yeah, I think most people are sensible and just wait for the morning. Um, <laughs> but if you're on the West Coast, you kind of justify it to yourself. You're like, well, it's just midnight. And if I go to bed at 11, I'm, you know, I'm reading. And then I'm like, well, I've got 15 minutes to wait. I may as well wait and watch it <laughs> every week. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, no, I can, I can justify this. It's all good. <laughs> and yeah, then you regret it later. Yeah, you struggle the next morning. But yeah whatever i guess at least just once a week so yeah and we're almost and we're approaching the end of the season as well there's only two episodes left now so crazy yeah Yeah, it goes quickly yeah no it's gone so fast i feel like it was yesterday that we were talking about episode one yeah yeah. i think that's just time behaving weirdly this year as well yeah a very strange year all around i feel it's safe to say Um, Okay, cool. So let's move into the news. Um, So the first thing we have to talk about is an official press release from Stoles.com. And yeah, could you read out the relevant bits, Kirsty? 2021 marks the 50th anniversary of Lucasfilm. The celebration will kick off with commemorative fan favourite 50th anniversary Star Wars products. The launch starts in January and will continue throughout the year with special edition product releases. Consumer products have always been an integral part of the Star Wars fan experience. (laughs) And they remain a constant force in pop culture today, says Paul Southern, Lucasfilm Senior Vice President, Licensing and Franchise. To commemorate Lucasfilm's 50 years of storytelling, we look forward to honouring this consumer product's legacy. (laughs) (laughs) 
and bringing to life brand new products, games, and publishing offerings that celebrate our future with Lucasfilm's exciting feature films and Disney Plus series ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. It's just the most corporate thing. Like I think we might have well ever read on this show. It's I mean, they're funny. not. They're not wrong. Like consumer products have. <laughs> been an integral part of Star Wars fandom yeah yeah for a no it, it's all true I think the main reason I wanted to talk about this was because they are using the phrase in exciting feature films and Disney plus series ahead which does confirm to me that they are still going to make movies which is good and I'm sure most people never doubted that but I think there was like a fear in the back of my mind that The Mandalorian has been so successful and so many people are excited for these new series they have lined up that the films would become less of a priority for them. So mm. I'm really glad that that is still moving ahead, according to this, anyway. Oh, okay. I didn't even pick up on that. There is no doubt in my mind that eventually we will get episode 10. Yeah. I think it would be bonkers for them to not do that at some point. Yeah, because they invested in like all these new characters and the story of the sequel trilogy, regardless of how anyone feels about how it ended, myself included. And yeah, it would be foolish to just throw that away because there are millions of people with a really deep investment in those characters and that story. So yeah, like you say, I'm sure it'll be continued. Yeah, it makes sense for them to invest in a lot of Disney Plus series right now because they desperately need more original content on that platform. Yes. Um. But at a certain point, you reach surely a peak where you have most people signed up who are going to sign up, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert on these things, but um, I don't know. I guess with the Warner Brothers choices this week as well, people are in all kinds of doubt about the future of the film industry. Exactly. Yeah. It's a bit earth shaking, to be honest, that decision. So it'll be very interesting to see what moves Disney makes in terms of making their films theatrical releases yeah uh, there is a very real fear for me that 2020 might well be the year that marked the beginning of the end for the theatrical experience and that might sound a bit like doomsay you know and exaggerated but i do feel like that's a real possibility for the first time and yeah it's a scary thought to me as someone who really loves the cinemas no i i agree with you i think it's a real possibility and i i think it was Obviously, it was kind of a possibility before 2020, but this has kind of accelerated it and kind of pushed these companies into decisions that they maybe would have waited a bit longer to make. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Exactly. See, but we'll see it. what happens to Lucasfilm's corporate products and whether they go <laughs> to cinemas or they're all just on streaming. We'll find out in due course. <laughs> Content... <laughs> At least they they do also use the word storytelling. So yes. it's not it's not too cynical, but yeah. I'm I'll be looking out for a Lucasfilm branded plaid shirt to look like George himself. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't mind picking one of those up, although they'll probably sell out super fast. Yeah. I I was genuinely thinking that because based on the phrasing of this press release, it does genuinely make me think that we're going to get merchandise of the behind the scenes stuff. So I really want like a George Lucas action figure, for example. <laughs> and you could have all these cute little accessories, like a typewriter that he's using to write the script for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll be selling like hot pink shorts, like the guy who holds the boom mic behind the scenes in the first Star Wars. <laughs> If they don't have plans for this sort of thing, they need to make them plans. 
Greedo's high heels, you know, all all sorts of things. Oh, yeah, peace cushion slippers. That's very important. (laughs) I think that would be a really successful line. (laughs) Oh, Mm. my God. So many possibilities. Um, But, yeah, and just quickly while we're at it, I really think in terms of the future of Lucasfilm and all these movies and TV shows that they're going to make... I think it's going to be increasingly important for them to diversify the types of stories they're telling and the types of tones of those stories and the genres they're working in. Because I feel like Mandalorian is a fun adventure show, but I feel like there is a ceiling on how many people are going to be interested in that type of show. And they really do desperately need to diversify beyond that style if they want to get people in who are not like hardcore Star Wars fans, basically. So yeah, we will see. I think Grogu does a lot of heavy lifting, but yes, that's true. Yeah, I do. I do think you're right in terms of sustaining people's interests. But you know, we shouldn't understate Mando's huge success so far. So yeah, we'll just see if they can maintain that. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. Um, yep. So then, the next thing we want to talk about is that apparently a High Republic animated series is in the works, and this is from Jordan Mason at CineLinks. Could you read it out, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. Star Wars animated projects are still in the works, and we've heard that one of them will let fans experience the High Republic. The Star Wars live-action series are chugging along, but it's been a little bit since we've heard anything about any upcoming animated projects. We know Lucasfilm is still hiring and adding to their animation team, but aside from the Bad Batch, we don't know what they've been working on. Maybe I can help a little bit with that. Over the last couple of days, I heard from a handful of sources that three new animated series are currently in various stages of development one of which would be set during the High Republic era. This January, Lucasfilm and Disney are kicking off a new publishing initiative that ushers in a brand new, unexplored period of time in Star Wars. Despite being initially announced as a publishing project, I'd heard even last year that it was being considered as a multimedia project that would span other mediums as well. It's already popped up in VR as we scooped earlier this year, and this actually isn't the first time I've heard the High Republic mentioned in terms of a TV show. I'd heard whispers of a potential live-action series happening as well, but I'm not sure if that's still on the cards or some wires got crossed and it was always about an animated project. Sadly, I don't have any specific details on what the series will include, whether it'll include characters from the books or comics or not. From what I can gather, it's early days of development and lines up with what I'd heard a few months back about a new project entering the concept art stage, normally among the first steps. Yeah, no, so... I feel like there was some confusion early on about what the nature of the High Republic was going to be and the extent of its scope. Because I know you, Kirsty, said that you thought they explicitly said they weren't going to do like TV with this, that it was going to be a publishing project, right? Well, I, I definitely remember them saying no films. But okay. I guess I didn't pay attention to whether it was no TV as well. Sure, yeah, yeah. Now I'd have to go back and like dig through those older reports. Like I do remember something along those lines, but I can't remember specifically what they said. But yeah, like I feel like this is a good idea because I think that the Stars books, while they do have an audience and some of them like are genuinely good and become really popular, like Lost Stars was a big success, for example. I feel like they're ultimately a very niche thing, you know, relative to the other manifestations of Star Wars stories that we get in the TV and especially the films. So I think that if they do really want to make this new era of Star Wars make a big impression, 
then they need something like this basically it can't just be the books so i think the books are good for like seeding things and for like establishing characters and getting like the hardcore star wars fans excited about the prospect of this world but to get more people in and to put it and to put the high republic on people's consciousness they need an animated series or a film or something like that basically what do you Mm. think kirsty no that's a good point i think i need something to fill the resistance hole in my heart so yes hopefully this is it i mean i'll probably check out the bad batch as well but i don't imagine that that is something that i'm gonna love i mean i could be wrong we'll see but um yeah i just miss resistance so much and i really feel like that show wasn't really given its dues so hopefully yeah i mean just to note this is early stages of development he says and there must be all sorts of things in development right yeah a hundred percent like i've heard so many rumors like there was even a rumor about a like ben solo series or something right. i think yeah and yeah i i think that's what you'd expect because they're probably playing around with all sorts of different ideas and seeing what clicks the best and yeah like what they have the best ideas for before actually putting something into production so yeah i don't think anyone should take this as a confirmed promise that this series will become a thing but it's just clear that they're working on something along these lines yeah so out of a lot of things we'll wait and see (laughs) i never know how to close off these little news snippets it's yeah that should be the motto of the news section of scavengers horde we'll wait and see we should do the snoke's voice of we shall see (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's such an underrated raylo moment i love it so much oh when he's like oh by the grace of your training i will not be seduced yes exactly yeah. and then we shall see as the comeback to that it's just beautiful and it's yeah, like we, we, will <laughs> we <see>. did see <laughs> i think i also feel this like deep personal nostalgia because we were like all raking over every little crumb in, in force awakens basically trying to like figure out what the trajectory of the ray and kylo ren relationship was and yeah that's something i particularly liked i love that detail yeah it was pretty loud <laughs> <laughs> the subtlety that Star Wars is famous for perfectly embodied <laughs> oh. okay cool um, yeah so let's move into our spotlight discussion which is on the Mandalorian chapter 14 the tragedy <laughs> sorry. and I'm sorry I just need to get this out of the way very quickly um, because I know it's annoying but I find tragedy a little bit strong what are you talking about? I don't understand. What could be more tragic than maybe Yoda being taken by the Empire? That's the entire thing they've been trying to avoid. I think it's just because I can't, like, take baby Yoda seriously. Oh, well. <laughs> Which is a problem with me, okay, guys? Like, I'm not saying this is a problem for anyone apart from me. But, yeah. Like, I think I just see that little thing. And, like, even at the end, when it's obviously all meant to be menacing and foreboding and you're meant to fear for the baby's fate, I'm just like, look at him. Look at him moving the troopers around like they're rectors. I mean, I don't think you're meant to be, like, crying. <laughs> it's not that kind of show. But yeah. but it is a tragedy for the characters. It's not what they wanted to happen. <laughs> you could see it coming a mile off. I think we said last week, like, oh, they're going to go to Typhon and then they'll find them there. Like, it's yeah it was it was pretty obvious but still you know it's kind of nice for them to have a little warning before the show starts that things are going to get pretty intense and serious here 
That's true. Yeah, yeah. No, you're making very fair and reasonable points, as always, Kirsty. I'm just being a bit silly and stupid, to be honest. Well, this episode was a bit silly and stupid, but we'll get <laughs> yes. into it. I mean, that's kind of what The Mandalorian is, and some episodes we jive with a little better than others, right? So Yeah, and I think my serious thoughts on this episode, serious thoughts about a not-so-serious thing, um, is that I did really enjoy it. It's probably one of the episodes I enjoyed most this season. Um, and that's not to say I think it's like one of the best written or anything, by any means. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just fun and it moves at such a clip. You know, like I think you can really tell that there's a very seasoned director behind this episode because Robert Rodriguez really brings it. And yeah, the action is so fantastic in this episode. It's just really exhilarating. And I say that as someone who normally does not care for action at all. So, yeah, like I felt it was very well done for what it was. Um, although there are lots of silly aspects that, yeah, we'll talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the only one to say this. And the big, obviously, the the caveat to it is that, yes, we only have a few episodes left. So it was coming down to it. But pretty quickly at the beginning of the show, I was like, oh, this is clearly the Robert Rodriguez episode. Yes. Like his style is so distinctive. And it's clear what John Favreau wanted him to bring to the table for Star Wars, and he delivered. And you know, depending on what your tastes are, that's going to be your kind of thing, or it's really not going to be. But it was interesting to see his take on Star Wars. And I think, thinking back to like the early days of the the Disney acquisition and the idea that they would bring in all of these different kinds of filmmakers who all of Star Wars in their own way and kind of interpret it differently. This is the kind of thing I was was hoping for, not in terms of like, oh, I love Robert Rodriguez so much in particular. Like I I do love his films, but they're they're not necessarily my number one, like, oh yeah, that's that's a very Star Wars thing. I think it's just more, it's interesting like episode by episode to see each director's take on it and to see how Jon Favreau pairs them up with the elements of the story that might fit what their thing is. Yeah. Um, and, And this was, a very Rodriguez style episode you know just I think it was maybe two or three episodes ago I was going on about how boring I find people shooting at stormtroopers in all those scenes <laughs> yes. I don't mind it when it's directed by Robert Rodriguez he just has a way of making that compelling to me yeah you know his work is just so dynamic and intense and I know it's not for everyone but yeah no same like I think because I like I'm very consistent in how I usually tune out from action scenes. Um, and even like in this case, you know, where they're very well done, like I still don't have much to say because I just don't know how to talk about them, you know, but I can recognize when an action scene is done really well and is very effectively executed. And I think that's exactly what happened here. Like all the action was just so smooth and so like exciting to watch. And yeah, you just like really feel the adrenaline of everything the characters are going through. So yeah, there's lots of talent on display in the direction. Yeah, he just has such a great sense of pace. And I I know this will, this is very much up to interpretation and some people like it and some people don't, but the way, the way he chooses his angles to emphasize certain things within an action sequence, yeah, I think are, are really interesting. And it, it gives it this like, I mean, anyone who's watched a Tarantino movie as well, it's the same kind of thing, right? It is this, like, comic book feel. And some people will like that and some people don't, and it's all valid. But it was just interesting to see that play out within this universe. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, So, 
Yeah, um, to go back to the beginning of the episode, it all starts off with um, Mandalorian and Grogu, who I am going to call Grogu, shockingly, which I guess makes me a hypocrite after last week, where I was like, I'm no, never that's... calling the baby Grogu. <laughs> but I feel like the We all knew that scene... wasn't true, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so obvious, aren't I? Um, but yeah, I feel like the opening scene in this episode did such a good job of reinforcing that that is now his name. That I was completely won over, and I, it was kind of like, oh man, they're working, they're working on me, and it's working. Oh no, but yeah, like they basically have Baby Yoda slash Grogu and the Mandalorian in the cockpit of the Razor Crest, and the Mandalorian is just testing out Grogu's name, so he just keeps on going Grogu, and then the baby looks up, and then like he'll leave it a few seconds and chuckle, then he'll go back again, Grogu. <laughs> It's nice to hear him chuckling. Have we ever heard the Mandalorian laugh before? If he has, I don't remember it. And I must say, as part of the preparation for this episode of the podcast, I rewatched Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian, because, spoiler alert, that's where Fennec is introduced and she comes back this time. Um, And, yeah, one of the main things that stood out to me was how markedly different The Mandalorian was as a character. Like, he was so somber and straightforward and, you know, just, like, very monotone, I guess, in Chapter 5. So you're telling me there's been some character development? Yes, I am. (laughs) There is substantive (laughs) evidence of character development, which I'm very excited to report on. And, yeah, it was just a delight to see, to be honest. It made the way that he is in the newer episodes, where he does have this warmth and this real affection for the child it made that much more striking to me and yeah i love everything between the mandalorian and grogu in this episode it was all very warm and fuzzy and heartfelt and yeah i think it made it hit more when grogu is taken away yeah i loved that little conversation they were having as they were flying to typhon and it was basically him trying to talk himself into leaving grogu yeah like oh you'll be okay blah blah it's like but will you be yeah <laughs> who saved who I really feel like that whole conversation where, yeah, exactly as Kirsty said, it's basically all about the Mandalorian trying to set himself up to part with this child. I think it's all building towards a resolution where if like a Jedi does turn up, they're going to give Mando the wisdom that, look, this child is better off with you. You know, you guys are a match made in the Force or whatever. <laughs> and you need to stay together. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's the message Ahsoka was telling. And wasn't like Ahsoka basically saying, well, look, I think you guys are better off together, but if you really insist on getting this baby to a Jedi, then you should go to Typhon. Is that kind of what happens? Yeah, and kind of leave it up to Grogu himself to reach out for someone in the Force. And yeah, she kind of just left the decision with them. Yeah. But yeah, she made it clear that she can see that they're attached to each other and based on her experience with Anakin, she she thinks that's something that shouldn't be damaged. So, Yeah, it was a really beautiful moment. Um, and yeah, what did you think about the whole planet, like Typhon as a concept in terms of the aesthetic of it and stuff and the status as like the place of one of the earliest Jedi temples? Uh, I really liked, liked the actual temple part, the mm-hmm. Jedi Stonehenge. That was cool. Yes. But in terms of a planet, it's like... Um, you're just in California. <laughs> I guess I kind of liked it in that it felt like an old Star Trek episode. Yes. <laughs> but it felt a little cheap. Yeah, no, it reminded me of the same, but with Doctor Who. Um, and obviously a different 
landscape because yeah british landscapes are very different from american ones but yeah there are so many doctor who episodes where all the characters running about on a quarry and pretending it's an alien planet and <laughs> i very much got those vibes from this episode it was quite yeah. charming it felt in keeping with it as that like it's intentionally kind of retro right so yeah. it fit exactly and like you say the most important thing is that the temple itself had quite a cool look to it and I really did like that Jedi signal that Grogu sends up into the sky. I thought that was a cool effect. Yeah. So okay. I don't get me wrong. I did enjoy this episode, and I have lots of good things to say about it. But I was a little bummed that at the beginning I was like, "Oh wow, I'm finally gonna get down to some cool Force stuff." He's like in this cool, like blue. What would you call that? Just I don't know what it was. All those symbols that lit up around him and everything. And Beauty, you know, blue like tube. A- <laughs> a force field that Bando couldn't penetrate despite trying three separate times mm. still couldn't get to him um, yeah so I I don't know that kind of led me to think it was going to go off one way and then as soon as all the action stuff started I was like oh it's a Rodriguez episode never mind um, <laughs> and, and I enjoyed it for what it was sure so I won't yeah, criticize yeah. that part but I, it, it kind of came really close to something that I was like super looking forward to and then um I don't, I don't know. I just, I just have to make my peace with the fact that this show isn't going to explore that sort of thing. That's like the stuff that I'm most interested in. Yeah. Um, but it, it teases it, and of course, at the end, we get the kind of bookends of there of Grogu then using the Force in these powerful visual ways. But yeah, I was just like, oh, what's going to happen here? But it's just kind of a convenient way to get Baby out of the way from the action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are lots of conveniences like that. It's quite funny. Um, and yeah, like oh god, we need to talk about this briefly, Kirsty. The butterflies. <laughs> the fan discussion about the butterflies is one of my favourite things about this episode. It's so entertaining to me. I just don't get it. You didn't even notice when you were watching it, right? I didn't. And I'm conscious that we should give people context for what these butterflies even are, you know, because otherwise they'd be like, what on earth are they talking about? Um, and yet, basically, there was an episode of Star Wars Rollouts, which is the Star Wars characters rendered as adorable little balls that roll around. And one of them had baby Ben Solo in it. It was a very cute episode. And there's a particular emphasis on that episode of on baby Ben Solo being surrounded by blue butterflies and then being applied to be like a mystical force related thing. And in this episode, baby Yoda interacts with blue butterflies that are associated with the force case closed yeah they also show up in the vader comics so i think they're meant to kind of symbolize um anakin's attachment to padme right so it's kind of like they're a motif a symbol of the light side of the force maybe yeah perhaps like i'm not sure like how clear it is even at lucasfilm what they might mean like i think it's very very probable that it's just like what could be like a cool symbol of the force yeah, so it's very it's very vague. Fandom has kind of taken it because of how cute that rollout cartoon was. It's like, oh, Ben Solo with his blue butterflies. So he they pop up a lot in a lot of Ben Solo fan art now. Yes. So it's very much like a fandom thing. But people who don't like Ben Solo or his fans were immediately like, oh no, the blue butterflies. Do you think they'll notice? Oh, I got so annoyed when I saw that. <laughs> Oh, uh, die mad, die mad. Sorry. Sh- shouldn't you shouldn't admit that. <laughs> you should just enjoy the episode. Stop thinking about fans that you hate. 
Yeah. No, it's quite funny that people feel threatened by something so innocuous. What difference does it make? Raylo's cannon, guys! <laughs> Nothing's gonna change it! Yeah, sorry. That was just a bit of indulgence that I needed to give us um, in that moment. It was very nice. And yeah, so then... <laughs> While Mando is watching Baby do this whole Jedi signal thing, he sees Slave One approaching in the sky. And obviously that means nothing to Mando. He hasn't seen Slave One before. He's like, oh, whatever. Um, But, you know, he's not like that at all. He realises that Slave One represents an intruder slash a threat. And he, like, runs off and he meets... (laughs) Ah! (laughs) No, it's fine. I didn't set you up for that properly. No. Sorry. Don't worry. I was just wondering, uh, would some people who didn't quite realise that that was Boba Fett in the first episode of the season, because it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. Mm. I wonder if people lots of people wouldn't. For many people, Boba Fett is the armour. You know, they have no idea what the man beneath the armour looks like. Yeah. So I was like, how many people would be completely blindsided by this? Yeah. I think especially because Tamora Morrison, when he does appear in, say, like attack of the clones as the clones like he's most more often than not he's cgi um so he's like a horrible plastic cgi person and you don't see his real face mm. um and yeah here it is just genuinely the actor unadorned and yeah i i feel he does a really good job with the character to be honest i think the most striking thing to me is that it feels like a very different character from the one that i thought boba fett was like how did you feel about like the way that Boba is characterised in this episode of Kirsty. It's kind of what I expected them to do with him because it's clearly I mean when you see him in that first episode clearly a lot of stuff has happened to him Yes. <laughs> but the beauty of Boba Fett is that he is kind of a blank canvas at this point so you know you can say he's a different character but I, I don't know if that means a lot because we don't know a lot about Boba based on the original trilogy anyway yeah. Obviously we get a little bit more in the prequels and the way they're talking about Django here kind of fits in with that. I don't have too much to say about it now because it's all kind of in how things go going forward. Sure. Because oh, I'm a bit hesitant to read too much into things. So the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I love this because it's kind of what I was hoping for. They're kind of deconstructing Boba Fett as a character and kind of challenging by like exaggerating that macho violence that people come to associate with that character right yes and then i watched it a second time and i was like is that what they're doing am Mm. i giving them too much credit because that's what i was hoping for or are they kind of glorifying it and appeal because i've I've seen reactions from people who are like yeah what a badass and i'm like (laughs) really like i get i guess on some level but i i don't know (laughs) what what are your thoughts yeah, like I've had a similar thought process. Um, like I think I kind of saw what they were doing with the whole "Yeah, I'm a badass. I'm murdering lots of stormtroopers. Isn't this awesome?" I think I got that vibe from it the first time around, so it didn't disappoint me when that only became clearer with subsequent viewings. But yeah, I do think they're still doing interesting stuff with the character that's potentially subversive, but a lot of it as you say will depend on how it's followed through on you know and what happens to the character after this um so i feel like one of the most interesting things for example with the character is that even after he gets the armor back in this episode he still chooses to take the helmet off which was interesting to me because the message that is sending is that in the time between return the jedi and now 
he's come to accept who he is and be comfortable with revealing himself more than was ever the case before. Because the Boba Fett we know from prior to this point is so inextricably tied to that armour that Boba Fett is basically the armour. And in this episode, it seemed to be saying something different, that there is more to this person than the armour he wears. And if that is what they're going for, I like that message. And it's a message that I hope Mando himself learns. So, yeah. I, I do think that's something that they're going for, because obviously they're emphasising his emotional connection to his father through the armour and through that Mandalorian connection. And that's something that he can share with uh, Din himself. In terms of deconstructing the that kind of macho aspect of the character. I'm, I'm just interested to see how that goes. Mm. Because of course, like he is, I think there's something to that right now because he is like, he's presenting himself as so honorable in this episode, which is really quite jarring if you think about it. Yeah. Like Boba Fett is good now. Yeah, Boba Fett is many things in the original trilogy, but he's not a good guy. <laughs> that, yeah, I think that's the thing. If they're going for like a, a redemption arc of some sort i'd like to see that in in process yeah you know like I, I must say that there are very heavy rumors i believe it was even reported by deadline which would make it pretty reliable that there's going to be like a one-off boba fett miniseries um which would presumably be about that time between return of the jedi and this moment in the mandalorian and I honestly think that could be a really interesting show if it does dig into all this stuff and explore that journey. Because right now, it feels like he's transformed as a character without us understanding the process of that transformation. So I feel like that's an interesting story to tell. Mm. I was thinking another possibility is that we're kind of um, being asked to accept that heel turn because we've been following the Mandalorian as a... Like, he, he himself is a bounty hunter, right? Yeah. So you can kind of see through him that at the end of the day, it is just a job for them, and it might not be morally upstanding, but it also wasn't, like, personal beef between Boba and and the heroes of the original trilogy, right? He was just yeah. a hired hand. Yeah, no, that m- makes sense. I didn't sense much, like, personal animus from Boba Fett towards Han Solo, despite what Robot Chicken implies. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing with this character. So much of the stuff around how we think of Boba Fett as a character is, like, not necessarily found within the text itself. It's more about how the fandom has responded to that character over the decades. Yeah, no, right? that's true. There's been this giant mythology built up around Boba Fett, like based almost exclusively on the fact that his armour looks cool, essentially. <laughs> um, and yeah, like even George Lucas has like run with that, though. We have the whole Mandalorian... The Mandalorians exist because of that, right? Like yeah. the whole civilization and culture and all of those arcs in the Clone Wars came exactly. out of this character. Yeah, and I feel like one of the earliest things George Lucas did in response to that is that when there's the special edition of Return of the Jedi in the mid-90s, they made a conscious choice to go back and film new footage for Return of the Jedi showing Boba Fett flirting with the ladies <laughs> in Jabba the Hutt's palace. And it's like, wow, if he wasn't cool before, he's definitely cool now. <laughs> Yeah, it, that's just funny to me. It's been a process going on for a long time, basically. Yeah. This deification of the character. Yeah, I never got the hate for the character, but I guess it's more... It's not hate for the character himself. It's kind of... 
again coming back to that like macho idea of like certain types of fans taking him up as like the ultimate badass symbol um but you find that with all kinds of star wars characters however minor you know like people are huge fans of like background characters and people who have one or two lines yeah quinlan voss just sitting down at a table on tatooine and phantom menace and then he becomes a jedi because people think he looks cool that was the (laughs) exemplification of that (laughs) oh my god it's so funny but i am i'm very happy for people who love boba fett and probably never saw this coming right like that would have been incredibly exciting just to see your one of your favorite characters to suddenly show up and be given like this new lease of life yeah no exactly i think that's where this like joyful buzziness comes from for a lot of people so yeah i can definitely understand that um nobody's ever really gone Exactly. If they can do this with bloody Boba Fett, who was like digested by like a horrible beast in the desert, they can bring Ben Solo back. Oh, oh no! See, it's good. only for it's only for characters who die bad. If they die good, it's a a noble sacrifice, and they're in a better place, and we should be happy for them, Yoda style. And they're really, really gone. And please stop asking. <laughs> Oh they God. brought back Palpatine. They can do anything. <laughs> it has yeah. no meaning. No, exactly. Death in Star Wars. Death Schmeff. And speaking of bringing people back, oh! Fennec lives. I was uh, right. I yeah. was right. I kept the faith. Yep. You were so. You were absolutely vindicated in this episode, Kirsty. I'm. I and just for myself as well as you, I was so happy to see her back. Because she was wasted in chapter five. Like she she's just such a cool concept for a character, you know, like this badass female assassin with like the great side braid and this really cool, mysterious demeanor. But she was like rel- a relatively small part of the episode. And yeah, now that she's come back as Boba Fett's partner in whatever Boba Fett's doing now, like I feel like there's much more potential to explore her as a character and to dig a bit deeper. And yeah, Ming-Na Wen is just badass. I loved seeing her here and she was so cool in the action scenes. Yeah, I hope this redeems episode five for a lot of people. I'm a bit of a chapter five apologist. (laughs) (laughs) Don't judge me, okay? You love that like arrogant little prick in that episode, don't you? (laughs) Hashtag Calican crew. (laughs) You've just made Steel very happy. (laughs) He has dozens of fans, okay? (laughs) Dozens Um, of us. I really don't think that episode is that bad and this does redeem it a lot for me because my major criticism of that episode was oh my god they killed another woman of colour like so Mm. quickly and it turns out that that's not the case and I was like they did that so quickly and they gave her such little even though I think she's wonderful in that episode but now you have that in this context I don't feel she was wasted because I feel like what they did with her in that episode was great but then she's suddenly dead and do not get me wrong i think the way that they explain her return here is completely ridiculous (laughs) i love the little mechanical stomach she now has it's like i want to see that being made i'm like where did boba fett get that from what the fuck sorry yeah boba fett is a genius apparently he's like anakin level (laughs) 
And it's funny because I know what they're doing. They're clearly it's clearly like a homage to that moment in Empire at the very end where you see the workings of Luke's mechanical hand. And obviously mm. it's ridiculous because it's like a clockwork <laughs> You know. Like it doesn't make any sense as an actual like thing to help with a prosthesis, but who cares? It's Star Wars and it's fantasy, so yeah. It kind of reminded me of Quill rescuing in a rehabilitating IG. Mm. I know IG is a droid, so I know it's different. Sure. But towards the end of the last season, you know, you had this character who was, for all intents and purposes, they were they were gone. Yeah. And someone comes along and brings them back to their home and brings them back to life, and and then they have a companion uh, alongside them for their mission, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, that was kind of nice, even though yeah, it's it's very silly, but Star Wars does that. She has exactly. A, she has a fake stomach now. Does she eat? <laughs> I really hope, though, that poor Fennec does not meet the same fate as IG. You know, I don't want to see her, like, melted in, like, a fiery pit. Or, like, no. suffer some other horrible sacrificial fate. It's like, please don't bring her back just to kill her a few episodes oh, later. Oh, yeah. I, I'll be I super think... pissed if they do that. I don't think they'll do that. I've seen a lot of speculation as to whether Boba Fett will die by the end of this season. Mm. Because yeah. it does feel like one of them would have to, but again, we're just kind of following the formula of last season, right? So yeah. maybe not. Exactly. They might completely subvert our expectations. Who knows? Maybe Jin will die. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I do not seriously think that. <laughs> for, for a minute, I kind of misinterpreted that, and I thought you meant like Jin as in Jin Erso. And oh, I was no. like, well, she's already dead. <laughs> but then the thing is, I almost always call him Mando. So when I right. hear his actual name, I'm like, oh yeah that's his name isn't it (laughs) well the thing is yeah no one calls him din because no one even no one knows that's his name or he's just talking to grogu who's not gonna say din so yeah he is mando that's what everyone calls him (laughs) yeah no i really i'm still waiting hard for that moment where we get the mask off because he hasn't taken it off once so far this season and i remember that being mm. one of my hopes at the end of the last season because obviously there is the scene where he takes it off when he's being vulnerable and i was like yes yes hopefully this is the like this is the breaking point from now on we're gonna see him take it off we're gonna see him be more comfortable and I guess I just need to be more patient and wait for him to feel more comfortable with that because it's a process that takes time and he was basically being raised in a cult that insists that the consequences are dire if he does ever take the helmet off. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things about him meeting Boba Fett is that when he first sees him and realises he's demanding the armour back, he's like, well, you're not a Mandalorian. And then it comes out that actually, yeah, he very much is. Yeah. Um, his father was a foundling and fought in the Mandalorian Civil War. So he again, this is him meeting another Mandalorian who does things a bit differently. Yeah, exactly. I really hope we're going to see this all getting through to him eventually by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, like I feel like it's got to be building towards something. It's all very pointed. You know, they make a big deal of the Mando, of Mando being very resistant to these like strangers who claim like something to do with the Mandalore culture, and then gradually realizing that no, these are actually decent people and they're allies and they work with me and they help me. You know, it's all got to be filtering through and will hopefully instigate real change. So yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have a favourite moment among all the action where it was um, Boba, Mando and Fennec fighting the troopers, Kirsty? So I have one favourite scene that I want to pick out. Um, 
I loved this shot and it's it is a very Rodriguez style shot so it wasn't shocking to see but just like the emphasizing of Boba's weapon mm, yeah um, and and his expressions but my favorite was Fennec and it was ridiculous but Fennec like doing a 180 she she like dove off the cliff but was like taking a load of them out and it was like <laughs> slow-mo and it was just so <laughs> so ridiculous but loved it yeah very satisfying <laughs> what about you um yeah for me it's got to be the return of the whistling birds um where basically fennec is being cornered by the troopers and she's like in a bad position and then sort of like in this really cool epic moment like mando like comes in and he like shoots off the whistling birds and they just take out all the troopers like it's nothing i think those are a bit of a cheap move really aren't they they really are like it's kind of like in video games where you get super overpowered weapons like that's what the whistling birds are basically um but i can forgive it because i feel like they don't wheel them out every episode and they're so damn cool i love them (laughs) yeah so that's my indulgence for the episode um and yeah, so then it's quite funny, really, because Manda repeatedly runs up the cliff, basically, to check whether Baby Yoda's done. And it's like, no, this he's never so done. so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was especially what? annoying how the last time he checked on him, he, like, waited a little bit. And it's like, oh, I'm still going on. I've got to go and fight more troopers. And he ran off. And like two seconds after he runs off, like, the beam goes out. <laughs> it's like, if you just waited a bit longer... He could have just stayed at the top. Like once the other two arrived, they could have taken on the troopers. And I don't know. He could have guarded Baby. I feel like that should have been priority, really. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, yeah, and it was just like pure himbo moments of him running into this force field three times. It's like, why do you think it's going to be different this time? What is what is different? Nothing. Still not going to work. I guess it showed his desperation, but. Baby Yoda was just chilling, <laughs> meditating on this rock. I guess whatever education he got as a Mandalorian, it didn't include critical thinking skills. <laughs> Bless. Oh my god, it's so yeah. funny. So again, I know I mentioned this before, but just Baby like meditating on that rock with the blue light shooting up, it was like the closest that this show had gotten. I guess aside from Chapter Ten with with Frog Lady. But those dark crystal magical vibes, it actually reminded me of Augra connecting to the crystal. Yeah. Kind of meditating in that way. Um, it's just kind of a shame for me that it, it can't linger too long and go deeper there with what all of that means. But it's just not the kind of show that it is. Yeah. So it's it's nice to have it in there and maybe it'll be explored elsewhere. But it's it's kind of on the same level for me with the Boba and Django kind of Mandalorian stuff. It's like things are referenced or like hinted at. But the show is just so fast pace and it's so focused on the action that's happening is that it's it's nodding to these things that are interesting and it's just a little frustrating but it is what it is <laughs> yeah no i totally get it and yeah i'm very curious to see what will happen as a consequence of that because it's obviously a big deal baby Yoda spends like half of the episode just sending that great big beam up into the sky and it's clearly like a signal to I don't know if it's to all the Jedi who might be out there or just to one Jedi or who knows what it means. Sebastian Stan. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do it. Um, you're speaking it into being Kirsty. It's, um, it's surely it's either Luke or Ezra. How many of a Jedi are out there? 
There's like that guy from the video games, like Cal. Oh, yeah, but it's not going to be him, is it? <laughs> I like Cal, don't get me wrong, sure. but it would be really weird for him to show up <laughs> as the Jedi that they're all leading up to. Yeah, people would be a bit like, who? <laughs> be like a huge anticlimax. Um, but yeah, like I am starting to seriously think that despite my fears and wishes that would not happen, that there is a real, real probability that Luke is showing up in this thing. Quite possibly is like the last scene of the season or something, you know? Like, a la Force Awakens, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like I have very complicated feelings about that. I don't think it's necessarily a disaster, but I think it's very dangerous and risky. And I'd kind of prefer if they didn't do it. But yeah, how, how do you feel about that whole thing, Kirsty? Uh, I'm not sure how to feel about it. Like, my instinct is to be like, no, but mm. I don't know. It depends how it's done, because I I feel like The Mandalorian plays it very safe. Yeah. But that uh, that whole chapter of Luke's life is very open right now. So it's like, I don't know, they could do something pretty out there with it. It just, I'm, I'm a bit sceptical just because of how the show has handled other things. Yeah. Whether it'll be kind of... Um, in keeping with I don't know it's not really about what I think about where Luke would be at that point in his life right yeah. it, ultimately we're getting Favreau's vision of that but Favreau's vision of Star Wars so um, so I think I'd be fine with it if it were kept very limited you know like if Luke were to show up but were not in any way to become a featured character you know because I feel like that's a story for another time as Styles likes to tell us, you know, and there's just not the real estate in a show like The Mandalorian to also tell the story about what Luke was doing after Return of the Jedi. I feel like any attempt to do that is going to be so watered down and thin that it would just be kind of like an insult. And yeah, I feel like tell that story, just don't tell it here, essentially. But this is the problem. Again, we're kind of coming back to Cameo City where it's like, what what then does it <laughs> add? I'm just laughing at Cameo City. It's true. It's true. You're right. Yeah. It's yeah. you know. It's like okay. It sounds great in theory, but what does that mean for Mando as a character? I guess Luke would give him some sage wisdom. Yeah. Send him on his way. I don't know. <laughs> He'll definitely send him on his way, Kirsty. That's basically the one thing you can rely on all these characters <laughs> doing. Although actually, in this episode, I was surprised because Boba and Fennec do not do that. You know, the usual template of a Mandalorian episode is Mandalorian arrives in a place wants to achieve a thing meets characters who tell him they can help him but only if he does another thing he does the other thing then the characters help him and point him on his way and there's some of that but not quite the same as in the other episodes so it's kind of turned on its head because they're helping him with his mission yes that's true that's exactly what they did yeah thank you i mean it's kind of out of necessity because all of these stormtroopers show up and they're shooting at all of them (laughs) but once that's kind of cleared it's like well we're still in it you know you i I said if you gave me back my armor, we would protect the child. So, yeah. Again, suddenly Boba Fett is all about honor. So, <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> we'll see. Um. Yeah. So, Death Troopers. What did you think about them coming oh down God. to kidnap the baby? <laughs> okay. Help me out here because this, this at this point, I feel like this has to be kind of a running joke from Star Wars <laughs> that all of these special edition types of troopers turn out to be total duds. <laughs> Yes, Surely it's so that's true. The it's so it's true. Like, like the Sith troopers and Tross, it's just an embarrassment. It's... I, 
I know that they succeed and that they were sent down to get the baby, but it's like you could have sent anyone for that. They didn't have, they didn't have to fight anyone. Yeah. And they're just robots. I w- okay, I'm having to headcanon these as like Doctor Who style Cybermen to make it more horrific yeah. and impactful in my mind. Because I'm like, if they're just robots, who cares? Yeah. It's just Iron Men. Yeah. No, exactly. They're just more cannon fodder, basically, if they're pure metal. Although, to be honest, even the fleshy people are also treated as cannon fodder. So, who knows? There's um, a lot of jetpacks and Iron Man stuff. And I guess I should... <laughs> Again, that's not too surprising. Yeah. Seeing who's writing it. But yeah. it's still a bit self-referential <laughs> for my liking. Yeah. No, I totally get it. I think, for me, what was funniest is that they sent down four death troopers. I know! You could have <laughs> taken one! I guess maybe they were worried an actual Jedi would be down there. Yeah. Like, it's so funny to me. It's just, like, ludicrous. They just go down, they scoop him up, and, like, zoom straight back up. It's literally the easiest mission the bad guys have ever had in any piece of media. It's like, you know there's the expression, stealing candy from a baby? That's almost literally (laughs) what happens, but they're just stealing a baby. A literal baby. Um, Yeah. And also, again, I know it's a convenience, so humour me, but, like, didn't running up the hill rather than just using his bloody jetpack it's like oh we just missed him darn ah but that's some another plot convenience thing that they did so early on boba gets him him to take off the jetpack precisely because of that reason just to set that up just to set that up that's the only reason it's a bit weird when he says that because i'm like is it so that mando doesn't go anywhere (laughs) why would you be worried about that he's there by intent (laughs) <laughs> to be fair to Boba, like, I might be wrong, but I feel like the jetpacks, they can fire missiles or something. Like, I could swear I've seen that happen. And they... Oh, yeah. So, oh, does it, so from his perspective, it's like, that counts as a weapon. You need to take it off. Yeah, that's that was the logic that I was ascribing to it. But, like, right. logic in a very, like, bunny ears way, you know, because obviously it's just a plot device so that he can... I think, again, it's after. just kind of, kind of pointing out to me the shortcomings in the writing that it's like, these things need to be... Um, spelled out by the characters because they know that later on some people are like oh well that's kind of silly that it's like oh well this is why that person said that and it's all like very rote do you know what I mean yeah yeah I do it's like almost like mechanical I guess it's not very organic Hmm. yeah like but yeah we'll talk about that a bit at the end in terms of like our feelings about where the show is in general and what it is um, because yeah, before we get to that, I want to talk about Moff Gideon and the baby. What about the Razor Crest? Oh yeah, shit, the Razor Crest—it's <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah, the no, rest in peace, Razor Crest. I did appreciate how that was done, like with very little ceremony. You know, obviously know, they deal with funny. the consequences of it quite a lot, but it's just like boom, <laughs> and it's gone. <laughs> and it because it is quite a big deal. It's been like the main hero ship for the whole show up until this point, and I did quite like the razor crest you know i developed a certain affection for it because obviously we see it undergo repair like every other episode (laughs) and it's like a horrible shambles of a ship at the point that you know it reached before it was blown up um but yeah like i I felt affection for it it was a good design and it will be sorely missed yeah and we've seen din and grogu hanging out in that cockpit so much you know it's kind of it tends to be the bookends of the episode right that they're in there and He's just kind of having a one-sided conversation with him and then <laughs> the shit hits the fan and and then they make their getaway and everything. But no more. Times are a-changing. Yeah. 
Now, I'm very curious to see what the new ship will be, because obviously Mando is going to get one. I've seen some spec that Mando might end up getting Slave 1 of Boba Dies, mm, um, yeah. which uh, I, I kind of wish they don't go down that route. I want him to have his own ship, you know? It's already so reliant on references to other shit. It doesn't need it. If he takes Slave 1, it's basically like he's becoming boba fett and then it's like why didn't you just do this show about boba fett in the first place <laughs> that's very true but i like the fact that he found that gear stick ball left over from the ship because that's obviously an emblem of his connection with grogu yeah and of course he he has his beskar staff so yeah expecting to see that used against gideon at some point with the dark saber yeah. it's so transparent what they're doing it's yeah quite funny to me but it's fine it will be a cool action scene when we get there because, yeah, you know, you just know how it's going to go down. I know that Beskar is really strong, but really, really... What? Like, I mean, like, can it really, like, work against the Darksaber that effectively? That's my question. Oh, are you worried that he'll be going in there with that assumption and then actually it won't? That'd be quite cool, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I hope that happens because I think my like f- fan brain is just telling me that it's kind of like a ridiculously like mismatched fight, you know, and there's no way the spear could succeed against the Darksaber. Um, mm. But maybe they're going to do that as a whole underdog thing and be like, well, we've seen the spear lose before, but this time it's Mando. <laughs> it's literal plot armor. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, it's Beskar. <laughs> It's basically like the sonic screwdriver of Star Wars at this point. It can do anything. <laughs> um, yeah, so is that everything now before we get on to Moff Gideon and the baby? Oh no, wait, there's also that awful scene with Kara. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, j- just suffice to say it's a really bad scene and I really don't like Kara as, in that, as a character. I'm sorry if anyone listening likes her. I don't mean to like trash on anyone's fave, but... I, I just can't with Gina's acting. I'm sorry. I can't pretend. It's it's just not good. The fact that they've turned it into a literal space cop is <laughs> kind of perfect. <laughs> Very on the nose. Yeah. I, I'd love it if that's where we just leave Cara now for the rest of the show, that she's not in it again. Kind of. She's just behind a desk. Okay. Yep. See ya. Keep her there. That's great. That's great. Move that was on. a pretty pretty sloppily written scene that he didn't lead with they've got the child i need this information (laughs) it was like okay that's the thing that's going to persuade her to like do the wrong thing for her job but uh, i don't know it's pretty contrived yeah it's very much a case of them positioning that line where it's positioned so that they can cut away from it and have a cool dramatic like transition um and yeah it doesn't make logical sense I guess they've set up now that Bill Burr is going to be back next episode. Yeah, was he um like from that crew that involved the Twi'leks? Yeah, so right, he, he's yeah. the one who kind of leads the mission with Mando going in. Yes. The guy with the Boston accent. And, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, they show him on the screen there. So, and, and that episode was directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who's doing the next episode. Right. So it makes sense for him to be coming back for that. Yeah, now I remember Rick's direction being really good in season one, so I'm excited to see what he does this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chapter two is still one of my favourites. <laughs> oh, was that another one of Rick's episodes? Yeah, awesome. The egg. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was really good. Um, okay, so now we've got all that out of the way. Now let's talk about Moff Gideon and the baby. It's beautiful. One of the best scenes in the whole show, in my opinion. I really enjoyed Moff Gideon here. Yes, he is really coming out of his villain shell. 
he's quite funny <laughs> yeah it's just beautiful so i must say i wasn't sold on him in season one because he's just not in it that much and he just had sort of like this grim somber aspect to him that meant he wasn't very fun to watch for me um but this time he's just having a ball you know like just clearly being with that little creature has really brought like esposito alive as an actor because he's just playing off it beautifully you know he's like in full mustache twirling villain mode and mm. yeah it's just so entertaining and you can see that he loves his work in those scenes you know just relishing those fiendish lines of dialogue yeah when he walked in it did kind of cement to me that it was like you had baby before you like know him in some way and then you lost him right yes. because there's just this like level of familiarity yeah and they have the tiny little handcuffs ready <laughs> there's almost this like playful aspect to it that was obviously unsettling but entertaining as well yeah he's like oh do you know what this is have you seen one of these before <laughs> uh, uh, uh. you're a monster gideon <laughs> now i want to see grogu with a lightsaber <laughs> i honestly did feel like they were playing with the idea you know with him yeah. holding the dark saber so close to grogu and yeah that... i mean he would eventually have one if he did enough training right <laughs> i'd love to see that grogu with a little miniature lightsaber it'd be so cute um and yeah like did you also notice how well i'm sure you've noticed because everyone's been talking about it on twitter about how they use notes from kylo ren's theme for like the scenes where the baby is doing dark things like using yeah. the force against the troopers i yeah i haven't heard anything from like people in the fa- fandom who are composers but i just kind of I, i'm getting the impression over time that that's just kind of morphing into a generic bad guy sinister theme for lucasfilm yes because i've seen i've heard it a couple of different times like there was a a take on it in the scene a couple of episodes back where they they play the hologram of dr pershing yeah and it's just like that minor it it just has that sinister element to it that i think can be like i mean don't they they play it in the last jedi when huck shows up you know yeah yeah no i think you're absolutely on the money it's not anything about kylo as an individual it's about the dark side and like in evil influences at work kind of so yeah and i don't know how i feel about that to be honest because it is kylo's theme yes but over time it's just kind of become not so much which is a bit of a shame but it's a great theme so i get why they'd want to use it in other places yeah no it was interesting to see um and yeah like I guess it'll be interesting to see Grogu's trajectory from here on out. You know, like, will he be tempted to the dark side? Yeah, it's getting real for poor Grogu. <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit confused about how the dark side is depicted in Star Wars because it's like, it's very convenient for light side characters to do these evil things to stormtroopers and not, <laughs> yes. not have that depicted as like, oh, they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. It's okay when they're doing it to bad guys. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, clearly, um, that's clearly not the Jedi way. Yeah, murder is wrong, unless they're stormtroopers, in which case it's fine <laughs> and kill as many as you want. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I'm not a big fan of that. It's the way Star Wars has always been, though. Like, even yeah. in A New Hope, Luke has no hesitation in blowing up the Death Star, but then it's like, oh, I... I, I'm laying down my saber. I, I won't kill the Emperor. <laughs> I'll kill millions of people in one go, but not that. Yeah, it's especially funny because so many of the people on that Death Star would have been many degrees more innocent than Palpatine exactly. was. Exactly. So it's just yeah. the way. You can't, 
what I've learned over time is that I can't think about Star Wars too much, which I know is silly having a podcast, but if you overthink it, you'll turn yourself insane. Yeah. The internal logic is not really a thing. I think especially with something like The Mandalorian, I think it's become abundantly clear that this is not a show that's about like deep character work or like clearly articulated themes you know it's not about those things and that's not to say it doesn't have character work or themes I do think it has both but I feel like it's all much more like simple and surface level than it is in some other aspects of Star Wars media and I think my feelings about that are that that's like a neutral thing you know I don't feel that's good or bad because for me Mando is like a family show basically you know I think you could sit this on and kids would enjoy it parents would enjoy it you know and they'd all access it and appreciate it in different ways but it's just not very sophisticated I think and I think I'm fine for there to be shows like that I just don't want it all to be like that and I don't want to be like Star Wars needs to be for adults because I don't think that at all <laughs> you know Star Wars should never just be for adults that'd be awful but I feel like there's some very like profound and interesting spiritual stuff going on in films like The Empire Strikes Back and The Last Jedi that I feel like something like Mando is not quite getting to that level you know it's not penetrating that aspect of the mythology and yeah that's kind of what I miss and want to see more of but my hope is that we will get that I just don't think it will be a Mando I think it will be in one of the many other projects that they are working on so yeah we'll see yeah and the thing is, that clearly isn't even Favreau's intent, right? No. So to enjoy it on its own terms, I think we have to look at what he's trying to do and, and see if it succeeds on those, which I think it is. Uh, I think the thing for me, and I, I think you might be in a similar boat, is that I enjoy each episode and then I make the mistake of going online and there is such hyperbole in either direction that I'm like, are you watching the same show as me? Like... <laughs> Either it's the best television show ever or it's an, ab- an abomination. I'm just like, it's fine, guys. Yeah. Like, what am I missing here? I guess that's just the nature of fandom. Things are very extreme, but each week I'm like, yeah, the writing's a bit sloppy, but it's fun. And I don't know. There's just very strong reactions out there and I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. No, I am in a similar position. And I kind of hate it that I do feel this fascination with the reactions, you know, because I feel like to a large extent, I'd probably enjoy the show much more if I did just completely tune out from what people are saying on Twitter, from what other podcasters and bloggers are saying about it. You know, and if I really did just try and appreciate it on its own terms in relation to what it's setting out to do. Because, yeah, as Kirsty says, I think when you see dozens of people saying this is the best Star Wars has been since 1983, which is a real thing that I've seen. And I also don't mean to say that people can't think that. It's a free world. People can think and have whatever opinions they like. But that is just so wildly different from my perspective on the show that it does like make me look twice. You know, I'm like, what? Um, and I just get a bit confused Um, because for me this is decent Star Wars you know and it's fun it's enjoyable it's like good entertaining stuff but it's far from the pinnacle of what Star Wars can be or should be in my opinion and I think the reason it unsettles me perhaps when I do see this hyperbolic praise 
is because I don't want there to be a signal sent to Lucasfilm that this is awesome and all other Star Wars should be like this. You know, because I think it's so important for them to diversify the sorts of stories they're telling and the sorts of genres they go for and the tones they want to achieve. Because if they do just keep on going in this mode and keep on relying on appealing to existing fans' knowledge of the franchise and the different characters, I feel like that spells death for any franchise. You know, so that's what happened to Star Trek for a long time because they were only focusing on appealing to the fans they already had instead of appealing to a wider group of people that just so happened to include their existing fan base. So, yeah, complicated feelings. Yeah, I mean, it's important to note that that's not how Star Trek does things these days. Yes. And they've made real efforts to go after a new audience, and I think that's paying off for them right now with Discovery. Yeah. And and to be fair, they tried things out with the sequel trilogy. (laughs) Yes, this is true. I think Lucasfilm and Disney and I, I guess Bob Iger personally probably got pretty spooked by the reactions to The Last Jedi from the dedicated fans. Oh yeah, 100%. I really feel like in large part this is made for the people who hated The Last Jedi. <laughs> Which doesn't mean that people who love The Last Jedi don't also enjoy it. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just in terms of whether the franchise is looking back or looking forward. Um yeah, uh, to to me, it's playing it very safe. So I'll be interested to see what happens with the other kind of series that they're developing. But from their perspective, it's like, what if we can play it safe and keep everyone happy and make lots of money? Why wouldn't we do that? But to me, that's just like not, it's not super interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I'm trying to reserve judgment until we start getting other shows and getting a better sense for the wider aims of Star Wars storytelling at the moment. Because Mm. if The Mandalorian is just this one self-contained thing, I can really enjoy and appreciate it on its own terms, you know, as this fun little adventure show that features a shit ton of cameos. (laughs) Like, that in itself can be fun and entertaining. But, like, if I go to Obi-Wan and the whole premise is Obi-Wan meets different characters from Star Wars canon every episode, you know, my heart would sink, you know, I just don't want that. I think part of that is... I think the difference would be that Obi-Wan is an interesting, in my opinion, <laughs> compelling <laughs> character on his own. Sure. And if you have you McGregor unmasked, I feel like that has more potential to kind of carry the show. Whereas the Mandalorian, he kind of almost needs those cameos. If he's going to continue to refuse to take his mask off, he needs another, another recognizable character to play off of. And, and that's kind of the premise of the show, right? He's like, inca- he's going through the galaxy and encountering all the fan faves. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to think that Obi-Wan will be different from that, but we'll see. So I feel like to a large extent, and I don't mean this as an insult, you know, so I've played with lots of Star Wars action figures. Like, The Mandalorian is very much like an avatar for the viewer. You know, it's sort right. of like a blank slate that the person exactly. watching can project themselves onto. So that's why yeah. there's not much like detail or depth to the character because the whole point is that he's like an everyman, you know, and that you can picture yourself as the Mandalorian. So it's like you're the person playing with all these action figures and you're involved in the games as well because you're controlling the games, but you're like kind of like a peripheral figure almost in the story because you're really interested in all these familiar characters that you love from Star Wars anyway and yeah that's the kind of vibe I get from it a lot Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like that western thing right yeah the the man with no name he has the mystery and you can't 
we can't unveil the mystery too much. (laughs) (laughs) Got to keep it all covered. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer because we liked him and we want to know more about him. And they're getting there slowly. Like you said, once you go back to season one, you do see the progression. It's just, it's glacial. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's different. It's paced differently from a Star Wars movie. That's just kind of what we have to remind ourselves of. Yeah. Should I tell you what I'd really love, Kirsty? And I don't think we'll get it this season, but I think it is the sort of thing they could potentially do in a future season. What's that? <laughs> Thank you. I was waiting for the request for the. Sorry. <laughs> which... It's okay. I'll ask. <laughs> uh, so it won't happen in this season because there's just not enough time, and it's pretty clear what our final two episodes are going to be about. Now they're going to be about rescuing Baby Yoda. But I think in a future season where hopefully Din has reached a point where he is comfortable taking his mask off, he goes back and he meets Amira again. That's what I want. Yeah. I would love that. that. Yeah. After he met Bo-Katan and she was like showing him that there are valid existing Mandalorians and it'll be the majority of them who take their helmets off. I was like, surely this gives him an out and he can... I mean, I know it It very much falls into that Campbellian kind of sexist, oh, the woman doesn't go on the journey. She's waiting at the end for the hero to go on his journey. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's is, it is kind of like implicitly sexist in that way. But it would be strange never to see her again. Because in, in the background, and I know this is like my shipping head canon, but it does kind of feel like he's still on his way to something. And it it's not like a coming-of-age story in that traditional Star Wars way but it is him kind of navigating himself back into the known world right yeah so yeah it would be nice to get some kind of resolution and happy ending to that please have a happy ending yeah oh god God. (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't end with like mando self-sacrificing and dying to get baby Yoda back to luke or something so yeah that would be worst case scenario i think that um grogu mando and hopefully amira would make a lovely little family be great oh and her ch- she has a daughter too oh gosh yeah you know you're right <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry children in star wars are so peripheral that i always forget they even exist <laughs> i know i'm not sure she even had a name in that episode i'm sure she has one but yeah she was there playing with baby yoda yeah no you're right now i remember the scenes of all the children gathered around and going oh she's yeah very relatable i think it's safe to say mm-hmm. um okay cool any final thoughts Kirsty? or are you happy to leave it there I'm just looking forward to seeing more from Fennec and, and Boba in these next couple of episodes if they're they're going to be joining Mando on this big rescue mission yeah. and whether we'll kind of like get Bo-Katan coming back in and if it'll be all like Avengers Assemble. <laughs> oh god, they better not do that like circle round the crew shot. Oh no, they probably are going to do that now, aren't they? It is John Favreau, okay? Yeah. This is the thing, like I know lots of people love the MCU so I don't mean it as like a a hate thing it was just always kind of in the back of my mind that I was like I don't want Star Wars to become like Marvel same but there are definite shades of it at this point (laughs) it's like please no yeah I I think this has to come back to the question about diversification because they already have like a whole gamut of like separate Marvel shows coming and if they reach a point where the Star Wars and the Marvel are so indistinguishable that they're using like the same framing and stuff it's gonna become so boring but again that's just my individual opinion and i'm sure lots of people would love it so what do i know Um, that's the thing they know it's what's successful at the moment so yeah i won't blame them if they go in that direction it's just a bit personally disappointing exactly so we will see guys we will see 
Um, but yeah, cool. I think that's a good note to end on. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!